0: Welcome everyone to the September 1st, 2021 edition of the Board of Trustees Finance Committee here at the Alameda Health System. It's a pleasure to have you all joining us tonight, and we are going to begin with a roll call vote. A roll call. Chesty Blue. Here. Chesty Esteem.
1: Here. Chesty Fox. Here. Chesty Friedman. Here. Chesty slendoria here we do have a quorum thank you thank you
0: so much there are times when i like to begin with a quote to start our meeting off just to get us going and i think i'm going to keep it simple tonight and remind everyone that when we plan god laughs so oh thank you for that i do want to ask if there's any public comment because now is the time for us to air public comment that is not related to agenda items so if anyone has public comment please let us know by either putting it in the chat raising your hand or emailing our board clerk ronna do we have any public comment I do ronna, not
2: see.
3: great
0: all right and with that we will begin our agenda and approve the minutes from our july 7th 2020 2021 rather because in August we had a quiet month with no meetings. Do I hear I a move approval. Is there a second? Second. All right Rana now we can have that roll call vote.
1: Chesty <laughs> Blue. Aye. Chesty esteem. Aye. Chesty Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman? Aye. Trustee Splendoria?
4: Aye. Motion passes, thank you.
0: All right, thank you so much. Next, we are going to hear an exciting first fiscal month of the new year or first month of the new fiscal cycle, a report from our CFO, Kim
4: Miranda. Thank you. Can everyone see the screen okay? Yes. Looking good. Good. So this is the July financial report. If I can get it to advance, there we go. So these are the July volumes. You know, normally we would have July and year to date and prior year, but since this is the first month, as uh, Trustee Esteem pointed out, we just have July and prior year. Um, worthy to note is if you'll recall, the budget was done assuming that we would have recovered from COVID Last year, we were well into COVID. This was the month of July. We saw our volumes drop off um, in April. And they were, they were, they dropped off like about 35%. And then we were off pretty substantial here um, last year. So it's kind of an interesting comparison. Uh, You can see we are... um, coming back, I mean, clearly we're off 0.6 in patient days and 1.2% in acute discharges. We're way ahead of where we were last year. Uh, But what this really shows is how the service mix has changed. So yeah, our ED has come back, yes, but not all the way. These traumas and ED visits are still not to the pre-COVID levels. Um, You can see PES at John George is still not at the pre-COVID levels. Um, Surgeries, um, inpatient, yes, you know, we're there. Um, But outpatient, the elective stuff, we're still down 26%, but look at where we were. We were off 46.5. If you look at that uh, last July period. Um, In the skilled nursing, um, our discharge, I'm sorry, our daily census at 262.3 is um, quite a bit off from budget. And if you look even last um, year, we were ahead um, at 264. Here, it's not a service mix issue or anything. It really relates to the fact that we've got COVID isolation rooms and some complex patients. And then as you all might recall in uh, Park Bridge, we're down four beds um, because of roof repairs. Uh, We've got two down in Alameda for seismic work and good news at South Shore is the roof repairs complete but the census still hasn't quite picked up yet but I would expect it will by next month and then down here in clinic visits um, we're ahead uh, for the month but we do have 1228 vaccine visits in here so that really does pump these up a bit Um, also interesting to note is last year in telehealth look at look at we had the 12,536 visits and we're at 6,116. So we're definitely bringing people back inside. Over here, if you look at the overall metrics, we're off about um, 0.2 in adjusted patient days, really quite close to budget, which again, there is this service mix I talked about, but pretty close overall. And then on adjusted discharges it's about 0.9 over which is a which is, is good that means that we're uh, from an adjusted discharges standpoint um hitting where we thought we would be having recovered from COVID overall at the big picture so here's our financials for the month um we had a net income which is good 1.2 million that's better than we have seen you know in the COVID year but not to where we built our budget at a 3.9. So that's a negative 2.8 um, variance. And EBITDA, again, earnings before interest, depreciation, and amortization. That's um, basically our cash flow. We had expected to bring in just under two million, and we are missing that by 2.9. So the why? Um, so here's the revenue slide. Um, On the charges, we are down 2.1. I do want to call out on the gross patient service revenue, the fact that we did do a CDM increase. It was 5%. That equated to 4.3 because there are certain types of CDMs we don't increase uh, as, uh, as a price increase. Those are pharmacy and um, markup on uh, supply items because we have a it's based on cost and the lab so the effective rate is the 4.3 but it does tend to dilute your collection ratio because your collection ratio is your net revenue divided by your charges so if you inflate the charges and you don't expect to get you know all of those dollars in payments from payers you're going to dilute the um collection ratio so you're seeing a little bit of that there um, I do believe that we'll get 1.4 million from the flow um, from our contracts that do do pay us as a percent of charge and we have built that in the budget um, in regard to our other revenue here there's a positive number 581 that's being driven off retail pharmacy Retail pharmacy has been doing very well for the last six months or so. There was a, um, a delay in the 340B legislation and there is a, um, additional volumes and you're gonna see the expense side of this on the next slide. Any questions on revenue? Yeah, one question. Uh, on
5: the budget, Kim, was the uh, CDM increase built into the budget?
4: Yes, it was.
5: Okay, so that, so there shouldn't be any distortion of our budget versus actual collection percentage.
4: You, um, that, that's a good point. We are, we are close here. Um, pretty close, 0. 0.1 off. Thank you for that. So uh, just to repeat that, what Trustee Fox was pointing out, because we did build in the increase in the budget here, this collection ratio, Um, should be accurate and comparable to actual. So just to make sure everybody followed followed that comment. Any other questions? All right, so here is the operating expenses. Um, Our big issue this month was the labor costs. And we'll talk about that in the next slide other than that there's not really a lot to talk about here purchase services were pretty favorable but when you look at those items they're really more timing differences materials and supplies is negative and again that is not a bad thing because that's what drove the pharmaceutical revenue on the uh, previous slide so here's the story for the month and this is uh this is all it, it is all labor costs and it's in registry we typically tend to under budget registry um, because we always think we're gonna be able to hire people. And so that's a, a phenomenon that is, that is not you know, unique to Alameda Health System. So we usually look at these in total. So um, we're 25 FTE over budget uh, and that, that is definitely part of our variance um a significant part of that is in EVS we've got it called up here and that's been corrected so we don't expect that to be a continuing issue there are other areas that are over and I know that our overtime hasn't it's improved from our run rate but it is not where we budgeted because we had the we have our performance improvement initiatives Uh, that we won't be reporting on tonight, month one, but our plan was to report every other month starting next month. So we'll get into detail of all of those performance improvement initiatives. And then there's two things that I did not list here. One of them is the fact that we gave raises to um, unrepresented unrepresented staff in July. And when you do that, you have to um, inflate their PTO bank. And so that causes it causes a, a variance because we did not have that in the budget. And then there is another uh, mathematical error in our budget model where we did not pick up the full value of the increase in pay period one. So we're still struggling working through um, how that happened. Um, but obviously that's not a huge part of the variance because I've explained the rest of it up here. Physicians were also off a um, million dollars. Uh, and those are in uh, the areas of emergency medicine. Uh, you you all did see that the volumes are picking back up there, but we're still not pre-COVID levels. Uh, anesthesia, and again, our surgeries, especially inpatient had picked up. And then we're seeing some variances here in pulmonology and OBGYN. And, and we're diving down a little deeper into this and we'll be able to report more back in another month. Um, the employee benefits is over 0.9. And what's interesting about this is it seems to be uh, more of a timing difference because in the budget, we looked, we went back a few years. And I think what's happening is um, very few of our employees during the, the height of the shelter in place um, had any physician visits. And I think what's happening is they're now catching up. And we're seeing a a blip in the current month. And I think it might smooth out over the year. We'll see. I also want to point out here on the compensation ratio, this number uh, is incorrect. We uh, missed, uh, as you guys, uh, as you all know, this is all very manual process. We, We pull these, all of our financials into Excel and and develop these and somehow this formula uh, did not it got copied over or something it the number should be 73.2 and that's because our labor costs are high and our revenue was slightly down any questions on this all right so on the FTE trend gap Graph. I added a year to it. I may even add one more year to it of history, but I, I felt like we really needed to, to take a look at what's happening. The paid FTE is the blue line. Um, you can see the blue line crossed the red line during the COVID leave of absence period in between uh, April and December of FY20. This was that 12-week leave that uh, AHS gave employees. It ended on January 1. There is a new uh, Senate Bill 95 uh, sick leave requirement, but the total we've paid out is 0.8. So it does, it's not even showing up in our lines here. Um, Previous to the, the COVID leave, we have had this vacancy. We had always budgeted more FTE than we had, but concerning for me is since we're not, all the way back pre-COVID, our sta- our F- the the blue line has increased, but you have to remember that we did capitalize 84 FTE for the Sapphire project. So I think I will add another um, year to this. It'll be kind of uh, tight, but I think you can we can fit this in so you can see the trend of it um, because we really want to watch um, our progress on you know um, uh, improving our the overall effectiveness
3: of our, um, staffing. This is about a question on that. Yep. Kim, Thanks. Um, I was talking to the head of another hospital today and she said that she had 30 people quit who would not get vaccinated. If we had any problems along those lines,
6: If I may, um, this is James. And we have not actually experienced actual um, resignations yet, but we've had staff who have intimated that that was their intent. And so we are actively trying to run that to ground to see if in fact that's going to be the case, but um, I am not aware of any actual resignations due to the the impending requirement yet.
7: Thank you very
3: much. Certainly.
4: So this is the balance sheet. Uh, just a couple things I want to point out here. Uh, first, our uh, days in AR drop. so we were at 59.6 to 56.9, and I, I have a slide on the on the on the days here in just a minute. We'll talk about that. Uh, and then I want to talk about the net position here. Um, I think uh, worthy to note is we actually had an improvement from FY 20 to FY 21. And what many of you may recall is that as of May, we had a loss of 34.1. So you would have expected this to go the other way. So I wanted to call it out uh, since it's, you know, it's a a good improvement. Um, And it relates to FY 20 GPP supplemental program. And that is because the um, government decided to increase the pool of money available and also reduce the threshold to help folks through the COVID crisis. So it does relate to a prior year, but we can't, we're we not able to open last year's financials and book it. So we're going to need to book it in um, uh, fiscal year 21. So it's in my preliminary year-end financials that we'll be presenting to you next month. Uh, in addition to that, not as big of a number is EPP. Um, we had a pickup of about 10 million. That was really um, more of a we were getting more cash than our accrual, and we didn't true it up until um, June. So it was just a, a, a in our account reconciliation, it wasn't a material amount until until we went through it in June and trued it up. So. But those are, that is why this is going a direction that you that's a great direction. It's great news, but it might not be what you would have all expected based on the May financial statements. And then moving um, to June here, you can see we've deteriorated a little bit, which has to do with, um, uh, I'm sorry, improved a little bit because we have uh, net income this month, which is great to see because we've been going the other way for quite some time. And then finally, on the net negative balance, um, starting here at the end of the year, we had predicted 20 million. We had 20 million in the budget presentation in the beginning of June. We are very close there. We pretty much nailed it. Um, you might say, well, you just told me about the GPP money. <laughs> and I'll say yes, um, but it, um, the, it's actually about a 6 million improvement but we, the county, never paid us the 14 million um, that they were going to pay us for the electronic medical records. So you net the two, and we are really, really close to this number. So everything's coming together nicely. And then we did go up this month, despite the fact that our our miss on EBITDA wasn't that substantial. And the reason for that is the FY12 old waiver um, was settled, and the IGT did not turn around in the month of July. We got a paper check from the state that came in August. So that's why this is out. That it was a $10 million uh, hit to the line of credit. So here's the AR graph um, and it's got some nice trends here. Remember when you look at these numbers, these are greater than what I just showed you because in the previous balance sheet, these are combined. So now we've separated them out, HBAR, there was a nice decrease in June and another nice uh, uh, decrease in professional billing. In fact, they get the EPIC trophy for being having a low AR at, at the 25th percentile. Um, we had a great cash month. Uh, our cash was 14.5 million better than we expected in July. of that related to Medi-Cal remittance. The state in the June uh, operates more on a cash basis, and so they withhold payments during the last weeks of the month, and then we got them in July, and that was 12.7 million. Um, Any questions on the AR? What is the HB acronym stand for? Hospital-based. Thank you. All
5: right so the pb is physician based right
4: yes we call it professional billing professional. professional billing and hospital billing is what that stands for and maybe we'll we'll type that out next time yeah in epic they're set up completely separate and we have d- different directors over each each um, each uh, population of claims We've got Terry Manifesto on too. If anybody has any questions. Okay. Um, so here's the cash collections. Um, so we finished out the year and even, you know, we did have that Medi-Cal decrease, although we've, we've probably had it in every year. It seems like it was more substantial in 21, however. Um, so we collected 600 million. Um, and if you look at 20 and 19, this was 573 and 562. So we did have done better in both years, despite that we had COVID the entire year and lower volumes. So you know we're doing better, but as I you know as I say every time, we still have opportunity. You know we are using Epic, we are stabilized in Epic, but we still find things every day where we can improve. So, um, and I think we're going to hear a lot more about that here in the next few months. I do want to say that I added the behavioral health collections uh, into this, not settlements, but just revenue that was collected um, because we plan to start posting revenue to Epic this year. So I wanted to have the full year in here. So we restated these two and we've, um, we will uh, um, hopefully within the ne- next maybe three or four months start posting all of the payments the county gives us on accounts to EPIC so that we can even we can report any um, discrepancies on accounts, uh, look at denials, look at underpayments, look at any uh, look at all of the other things we look at for any of our other book of business. Any questions there? Well done on collections.
0: That really is
4: quite impressive. Yes. And I'm going to take my hat off to Terry Manifesto and her team. She's done a phenomenal job. You know, I, I, I know I say this probably uh, very often, but I I think it's, it's worthy. You know, we started out as below the bottom performer. I mean, we were, didn't even make the epic scale when we went live and uh, we, you know, we, Took us months to get claims out the door and then they all came flying back with denials and then Terry started <laughs> and everything turned around so my hat's out, off to Terry so here is the line of credit or the NNB forecast um I have updated the forecast now to reflect our FY22 budget cash flows so this has last year we had losses built in here um until the very end at GPP but all of the um, historical is had losses now we have a EBITDA a 2.3 EBITDA margin in the budget and we also have uh, capital expenditures slightly more than last year so those have been put in here the supplementals we always update to the latest available just always automatically so when we do this you can see that we look like we're gonna be right where we need to be at the end of the year with the NNB, which is great news as long as we hit our budget. So we gotta hit our budget. The red line is the recoupments, which are on the next slide. There's no way that we could fund those recoupments with current year. Question, Tim. Yep. Couple
5: questions. One of them is that red line goes to 175 million as of end of this fifth. At end of this new fiscal year right
4: end of 22 next fiscal end of, year.
5: end of 22 um the last time we met in july that red line went up to 250 million so that's a drop about about 75 million dollars and then and some of that is from maybe the better yes yeah, so here you've got the, the budget but
4: Yeah. So we, we updated this with the budget. So that's one. So we've got 23.1 million of EBITDA plus we had a loss built in here. So that is impacting it. We've got the additional 26.8 and we got the additional 10.
5: Okay. So that's like 36 or so 37 million.
4: And also the loss here is this loss was built in, in, in here.
5: Did some of the timing of the payments change so that some things that we expected to pay in FY22 are going to be pushed out?
4: So we the $14 million we were supposed to get from the county is now moved out to 22. We had expected to get it here, uh, and so we didn't get it, so I've moved that out here. Okay. And uh, um, But th- these are the two biggest items here.
5: Okay. Another question on... Um, uh, in the package, it said that the, the net county receivable, I think, is $49 million now, uh, which is uh, on the uh, in the asset section of the balance sheet. Um, although we don't have a balance sheet for July, and I assume that's because the audit isn't done. Correct. But... Um, I guess normally on the balance sheet, the net receivable from the county is on the asset side and the NNB is on the liability side, is that right?
4: Yes, the the net negative balance is is the supplemental funds, we adjust each time to be either current or long-term. And then the NNB is always long-term.
5: So my question is, since the the, uh, NNB is now somewhere around 25 million, I think at the end of July, and the net receivable from the county is $49 million. We Can we offset those two? And if you, if you do, the NNB goes away, right? Because they owe us more than we owe them.
4: Well, there's always a lot of different timing differences with IGTs so um i did not put that in this in this uh presentation but we're always doing igts and we don't put those on the NNB. so we've always got pluses and minuses going right we've also got the uh, in my letter i actually include what exactly those um do to do froms are from the county right so if i look in here right now for july um you know we've got um we've got uh 21 million now in the capital designation receivable 14 of it we expect to get next year yeah right so that that was the one of the changes we increased it from 14 to 21 so that's 7 million Um, we've got the um, ongoing county receivable which is just a timing difference on our on money that goes that we owe to and from on several different contracts there's um There's like, um, there's some grants receivable and payable. There's, um, I'm going to list most of them in here. Uh, There's some uh, money that goes back and forth from operations that they support for us. Let's see, it's got the um, h Measure A. Uh, So there's lots of things going in and out of those accounts.
5: But But it appears that at the end of July, they owe us more than we owe them.
4: Yeah, that would that's a fair statement
5: I would argue if we ever get to a point where we exceed the NNB limit you know that might be something we want to point out that if we netted it against the NNB you know that would reduce it
4: yeah that's um, I mean we can certainly have that conversation with them um, I think a lot of it has to do with the timing of all of those other activities that are going in and out of the do-to, do-from from the county. Right. Um, Over so a long
5: period of time, does that do-to, do-from ever flip so that we have a net owed to the county?
4: Uh, well, the IGTs are the big things that go in there. And that if we're doing a really large IGTs, they, that can really change the um do to do from but most of the stuff are ongoing things you that's a fair statement you know you've got measure a you've got there's uh, like a purchase services agreement i'm trying to think of it off the top of my head but there's several items but they're not more normal in the in the normal course of business mm-hmm. also behavioral health sometimes um if we're uh at the end of the year and we do a you know a big um billing for like to finish out the year that potentially could be a big uh receivable on our books to them
5: okay thank you
4: um I will say though that on those IGTs if uh, at the end of the year we actually have one that is really large out there they will force us to put it um on the NNB and that I we never I did not find it in writing, but that has been the practice, and that was one of the concerns we had back in um, April, May timeframe when we were thinking that the timing of rate range um, might get delayed to July, and that we'd have these huge IGTS out there, and that they would hit the NNB, and we'd go over.
5: And they charge us interest on the NNB, don't they? Yes. And do we charge them interest on the on the net other the net balance? owed
4: um they uh, so all of our cash goes into the treasury we get interest earnings on that and then we pay on the NNB but not on those ongoing um A-R-A-P in the normal course of business
5: so it seems like when it favors them they want to add it in the NNB but when it favors us they don't well I
4: don't I mean if when it's um when it's interest on trade accounts a lot of, and usually it has to be sitting out there uh, quite a while for even um, other organizations to recognize interest uh, as you know uh, Trustee Fox even on your billings if you know if a payer is uh, slow to pay you you can get interest um, but I think in regard to these most of them turn around pretty quickly so I'm not sure about the trade um receivables and payables with the county but uh, they are giving us interest on the money in the treasury and they are charging us on the NNB but it is very low rate it's a very very low rate both sides so this is the um the chart of the material um transactions so this was uh, originally something we started doing because the County wanted to see the big numbers that were coming up. And so we did this for them and then we've just continued it for finance committee. So these first four represent the um, looming recruitments. Recoupments. And those amounts have not changed. There were, they total 141.6, Trustee Fox, and they were 141.6 in the budget presentation and in the financials um, with the one exception of the FY12 recoupment, which we negotiated to do in July. So, So at one point we thought we were gonna have to do that in the June timeframe. So that moved around a little bit, but overall the numbers here did not. This 10.7 is the reason we're still waiting for that to come back in. That's why it's a positive number. And that's what's caused our um, NNB to go up this month, which I pointed out in that earlier slide. These other items are all in the normal course of business. And the only thing that I changed here is this 14 million. We thought we were gonna get that in June. We did not we have invoiced the, the county for it they did not release the funds we moved it out to next year so when we will get that I'm not sure but uh, uh rather than talk about it every single month we won't forget about it we'll put it out here and um we shall see
0: can I just ask one uh, has the county provided anything in response to
4: the invoice just no update um we, it's supposed to be to help fund the electronic medical record. And we did provide um, an invoice with all the appropriate backup for the electronic health record. Um, Melissa Wilk appeared to accept, you know, uh, the invoice with all the backup. But I just don't think it's gotten processed through the county. Um, You could say in some ways, uh, and I, I don't know this at all, but it's kind of building up to kind of help us with these looming recoupments. I don't know if that's the intent of the county. I might be speculating, but uh, we've talked, you know, many, many times about reserving funds for recoupments, and we have never really figured out a way to do it. But if you were going to do it, this might be a a way. So uh, it it does kind of help us when these come due to have that there. And maybe that's the county's intent, but I do not know that for sure.
0: You bring up a, a really smart idea, which is how about if we work with the county on setting up a fund for recruitment, this could be the seed money for it. We could make it official. Yeah. If anyone out there is listening from the county, we'd
4: yeah. love to engage. And maybe maybe we get some interest too, as uh, Trustee Fox brought up. So that is my presentation Uh, and I I wanted to just make a couple other comments and that is that the we are required to upload to the CARES um, portal by September 30th and what the what you what we're submitting is quarterly information that's getting um, accumulated in a way that has been um, determined by the government It starts out with you um, uh, reporting your expenses first for COVID and then your lost revenue. And there are several ways to look at it. And there's a lot of, there's different approaches you can take. And for us, it's gonna be a complicated calculation. And I just wanna uh, remind everybody of a couple of things. One, we went live with Epic before COVID and our collections and net revenue were low so we're comparing a low period which is not a good place to be when you're substantiating CARES funding so we're going to have to work through that I mentioned the fact that we got 2019 and 2020 supplemental funds in June am I going to be able to back those out because they're not related to this year I don't know that for sure yet I do know that the that the information in the FQs say that you can back out things like prior year Medi-Cal cost report settlements, but it doesn't really get, get too detailed into the supplementals. We're working with CAPH on that. And the other thing that we have going on for us is um, I'm to to the cash flows. Um, oh, uh, behavioral health. So we got settlement funds, um, and when we initial when COVID first started. So how do we treat those? I was uh, I had I was savvy enough to know we needed to figure that out. So I did in the footnotes of our audit last year call those out, so that we should be able to back them out. But I don't know that. So it's in our audit report. It's in the footnotes. So I planned for that. We haven't gotten any uh, any. Um, settlements this year but I do expect one uh, in the December time frame from the county so um, those are big dollars that can have a substantial impact on how that CARES funding is evaluated and whether we can keep it all good news is when they first uh, developed the portal and they first gave the uh, approach to how we were to do it we did it and we were okay so that's the good news. But now it has been refined many more ways. And then now we've, we've gotten this additional funding. So I need to, we need to definitely go back and, and take a look at that. Um, and we will be doing that. And I did hear that there is the possibility that they'll delay the date that you have to have everything posted. Uh, to me, that would be a good thing because that would allow us to have our audit done and we'd have better support to substantiate what we include. And it would also allow us to get the FEMA application in because we're still working on our FEMA application. So um, obviously you cannot double dip. That's the big the the big no-no. So that's my update on, um, on just uh, my world in general.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that CARES update. I think, as you mentioned, we have to figure out how to work on recoupments. And the last thing we need is another recoupment and CARES funds could end up being a surprise so I'm really glad that you're anticipating all that and making footnotes in advance and things of that nature that's the beautiful thing of consistent leadership you can make a plan and stick to it
4: thank you
5: nice to start the year with a profit
4: that's true (laughs) well said
0: Thank you so much for that, Kim. And now we have a special treat. Normally our COO report moves to one of the CAOs, but today we get to hear directly from our COO. So everybody get ready. I think we're going to have fun. Take it away, Mark. I think you're on mute, Mark.
3: Not yet. Thank you. How about now? Okay. Thank you for the buildup, Trustee. And I can only hope that the presentation is as good as, as that. So um, I'll, I'll dive right into it. And I'm um, just really pleased to let you all know some of the things we're doing in operations. This is a small list, there's a lot that's going on. Um, we're plowing ahead. Um, while at the same time trying to manage um, an increase in the um, number of COVID cases we're seeing in the hospital and all of the activity around that. Um, So I'm going to talk about a few initiatives, and I've called them dyad led initiatives because it's it's such an honor and a privilege to be working with the physicians we have at Alameda Health System. Um, So we're partnering a lot. Um, Of our physicians with administrators around all of these initiatives. And the first is the ED fast track. You know, we've got compression issues in the ED, as you know, at Highland. And there isn't one solution to it. There's multiple solutions. Um, A lot of it's throughput. A lot of it is how can we best manage our patients um, as a system in our community hospitals? How can we create more space in the ED? And this first one is about creating more space. So we're literally taking a room in our emergency department that is right now devoted to, um, to the uh, registration area. And we're, um, we're going to revise it and make it into a fast track. And, and this is going to move registration into walking registration in the patient's room, which is really best practice. And I wanna thank Kim um, and Mark Amy for helping support this. But Dr. Simon, Michelle Hepburn, Teresa Cooper are leading the efforts, and we're really pleased. It'll, it'll be a little remodeling that we have to do, but um, it'll help, I think, quite a bit. We're also moving to block scheduling, specifically in our community hospitals. We believe that we can decompress Highland's waiting lists and um, everything that's going on in busy ORs at Highland um, so we're going to be moving some of the elective procedures to San Leandro and Alameda hospitals. Now, this is no easy task because we have to consider what type of education do nurses need to know um, with new types of post-operative patients. We need to consider the FTEs that are needed, et cetera, et cetera. But doctors um, Di Stefano, Tornabeni, Victor Reno, along with Teresa Cooper are now in a group to help plan this. The Budget Oversight Committee has given approval to the FTEs that will be needed for this. And our community hospitals will be the beneficiaries of seeing more surgical procedures, in particular at Alameda with ortho ophthalmology pain and neuro, but not neuro head, neuro spine, and at San Leandro, vascular, general surgery, podiatry, dental procedures, et cetera. Alameda Hospital, um, Dr. Feeney um, and Ronica Shelton have done a great job spreading the East Bay Medical Group to the ICU in Alameda Health System, given the retirement of one or two of the physicians that have long been um, doing uh, the work in the Alameda ICU. They've done a great job of adding and upgrading equipment there. And this project is pretty much complete right now. And and it's really good to see the standardization, if you will, of the care across our system. Our length of stay—we um, actually this now this is a hard um, initiative um, because there's a lot of moving parts to it. Um, at every one of our, our at every one of our hospitals, we have Dr. Bash at Highland, Dr. Yusuf at San Leandro, Dr. Castaneda at Alameda, along with our nursing VPs, we're all meeting every week and we're coming up with strategies to try to decrease this length of stay. Now we actually were on target for our budget, um, which actually was a reduction of 0.3 days from last year. We've got half a day, you know, we need to, we need to go down yet though. And one of the things we're doing is working on, planning a pilot on multidisciplinary rounding where the physicians, the nurses, social workers, the case managers go into the patient room and you know talk about the discharge plan with the patient. Um, we're decompressing and we'll be calling a meeting in terms of how we decompress the Highland ED. You have heard at your board meetings the issues of trying to make decisions on where Highland patients that are sitting in our ED go. Do we send them to full units with throughput issues right now at Highland? Or do we make use of our community hospitals better? And how do we do that? And how do we help support our centralized off transfer office to be able to do that? We'll be meeting um, to talk about that very soon. Um, in relation to GI services, I'd like to thank um, Dr. Bouquet, who brought to my attention that... Um, We have um, a hospital in the Bay Area that does very complex GI procedures. It's called EUS and ERCP procedures for our patients at Highland. We do not offer this service internally. Um, The place that we refer our patients to, they're losing some physicians, and Dr. Bouquet has helped me get in touch with um, uh, physicians at John Muir. And we're now working on a contract with John Meir to be able to transition these highly complex patients to them for the procedures and then have them return. Now, the good thing about this is that it might offer some longer-term possibilities in terms of them being able to do the procedures at our facility. We're not there yet, but that would be a long-term plan. OBGYN, um, Dr. Smith, Dr. Duffy are working real closely with us. We're going to now begin doing ultrasounds in the Highland Urgent Care. We're developing level two ultrasounds in our radiology, so our patients do not have to leave Highland to get these procedures. They'll be doing them at Highland. And um, the OBGYN team is moving their procedures out of the K building up to an OR suite or an OR procedural room that we found um, for them to be able to do the procedures there. Lastly, I want to talk about um, the system leadership team. Every day at noon, we hold a meeting on Zoom, and there's probably, I don't know, 150 to 200 operational leaders from the managers on up on the line. We quickly go through, what is our overtime, Ben? How are we doing? And this is from the day before. We look at our sitter use and we look at our productivity. And I can tell you, Kim mentioned overtime. It's been really hard, and it's in July, and it's even harder in August, given what's the illnesses we're having in our staff. We've had to utilize overtime, but guess what? In July, we managed it to a 3.5 percent, which is really pretty incredible, given what's going on. And our productivity was almost 100 percent. So. I've, I'm hats off to the operational team across our system for really working hard in trying to hit on our performance improvement initiatives, given that July and August, and my guess would be September, are going to be hard months given what's happening um, with labor in our facility. Lastly, I just wanted to bring you up to date on the CAO search. Um, you probably saw my memo. Um, A couple months ago, that our CAO at John George over mental health services, Patty Espeth, has started. She's doing a great job. We're really glad we have her. Um, It's hitting the ground running and getting a lot of support from the teams at at, um, John George. We've also had six interviews for the Highland CAO and the combined role of Alameda Hospital in San Leandro. Those two people have been selected. I'm withholding their names until they get through all of the screening that our HR department does. Um, and But we, I should be able to announce that in the next week to two weeks. Okay, and their start dates, one will be starting in mid-September and the other in um, early to mid-October. So I just wanted the board to get a snapshot of a few of the things that are going on um, in collaboration with our medical staff, uh, we're moving. We're moving the dial, um, even given the circumstances um, of the of the COVID pandemic. So I'm going to pause and just ask for any questions that um, the board or anybody else may have.
0: I think these updates are incredibly impressive. Trustee Esteen, are you on mute? I'm not. Can you hear me? How about now? Any luck?
3: We we can hear you, Trustee Esteen. Yeah,
5: I can
0: hear you. Okay, great. Uh, I was just giving you kudos, Mark, because I think these are really great updates. I'm so thrilled for the dyad and the work that you're doing with all the leaders together, and oh, I oh, can't hear us. You're doing a great job, Mark. And I'll just stop right there,
6: hoping that you heard. Thank you very much, Kristy oh, I will, I will convey that to him. Something's
3: happened oh, to the audio. Oh, I can hear. I can oh, hear you now. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Does
0: anybody have any questions at all or any other commentary? All right, quiet room tonight. Uh, The next part of our agenda is that we are moving into an update about the Huron engagement. So if you all remember, Huron has been contracted to help with efficiencies, and we are going to hear about this. I'll let Mark do the introduction.
3: Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Trustee um, Esteen. Yeah. I'd like to introduce uh, Michael Gladson and Matthew Thompson, um, who are our Huron colleagues working with two of the Huron colleagues that are working with us on this project. And as you know, we call it our best project. Um, and we've been um, working with Huron for about two months now. Um, really pleased with the work they're doing, um, highly collaborative with our leadership team. I'm starting to get to the point where we're going to be implementing some things um, So I want um, Michael I think you're on the line and you have the, the there you go why don't uh, why don't you just take it from here Michael if you can Every, Mike you're on Michael you're on mute
7: Yep, I have the double mute. Um, thanks, Mark, and good evening, everyone. Thanks for the opportunity to meet with you and share our progress and plans with the best project. Um, I'm Mike Gladson, I'm a managing director with Huron. My role on the project is coordinating our effort across all the different initiatives. We'll get a little deep on a couple of the initiatives that are already underway and then just talk a little bit about some of the other ones that are um, coming up. Just um, really quickly, you may have heard this, so I'll go pretty quick, um, some background about Huron. One more, Matthew. So Huron's a national healthcare consulting firm. Uh, We're headquartered in Chicago. We have offices in about 20 different cities throughout the country and we have consultants living all across the country and in the uk and india Um, we're one of the largest healthcare consulting firms in the country and really relevant to the work we're doing with alameda we're one of the broadest if not the uh, broadest as far as the type of work we can do Um, everything from strategy to deep um, epic or cerner work and what, what that allows us to do is bring real experienced consultants um, deep into specialties. So if we need someone that knows about EVS or Epic Work Queues or um, accounts receivable, we're able to pull the right folks in from our footprint. <coughs> uh, yeah, we can go to the next slide. And Matthew, Mark, James, Kim, jump in here. But to describe the, the the best engagement, it truly is a partnership. Uh, when we do work like this, performance improvement work, it really needs to be a partnership. We need collaboration. We need that trust between Huron and our clients and the other stakeholders, including um, the folks on the phone today and we believe we're off to a great start with that we've been spending a lot of time with a lot of folks in the organization and um, the progress we've made this quick really is a good good sign of that the 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 focus is efficiency and operational improvement and financial stability Um, we're very focused on getting some near-term results and long-term results but sustainability is also important That's why it's in the name. Um, One of the things we do for the sustainability, uh, I mentioned the specialists. We have folks whose whole job and all their experience is around culture, change management, uh, training, and learning. And we have um, quite a few of those folks embedded into our teams. So it's not an afterthought that just starts up um, a couple weeks before the project rolls out. We've actually been spending and um mark james and kim and the team have been spending time with our change management folks um and we're going to talk a little bit about some early work we've done there with the survey um and just a little bit on the governance we work really closely with the executive steering committee that folks are, are listed there and we also have a and to use that continue with the dyad Each initiative in each area has a dyad team. So a person from Alameda and a person from Huron who are teamed up and accountable to the steering committee and to the organization for the initiatives in their area. And that really just helps us get that um, partnership going. Um, That's really, that's the whole background. Mark, would you want to add anything at that point? No. Okay. I'm going to hand it to, Matthew to uh, dig in a little bit on our early change management and change leadership survey.
8: Thank you. Can everybody hear me okay? Yes. Perfect. Uh, good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for the opportunity to come and speak with you tonight. As Mike said, my name is Matthew Thompson. I'm another one of the leaders on the Alameda Health System Program. I'm a senior director with Huron. And really, I focus. Uh, my focus is overall uh, on the, on the people side of cost and care and how how to pull all this together and to tell a cogent story about not only where 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 we see you today, but really how do you get to that next level? And it's 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 really focusing on a a crawl, walk, run type of approach where there, there's 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 an end game in sight. However, the steps that have to get there are going to take uh, a, a, a decent amount of time in order to achieve that. So one of the things that we'd like to do with any engagement, especially with the size of Alameda Health System, is really get a sense of from the individual leadership level, where are you right now? Where are the places that that we need to focus on? So what are where, where do we need to focus today? Where are some of the things that you want to get to? And then how do we incorporate today into, in the transitional state into that future state that Mike was talking about? How does... How does change happen in your organization and how does it become sticky and sustainable? So surveying three 300 folks of, from your hospital, we did get some results back and where, where we want to focus and where the, where the data told us to look around four key areas to drive to alignment of accountability, to increase communication, to effectively manage low performers and train and develop leaders. And, and when, when, when you think about from the standpoint of leadership, these things would all sound like they're intuitive to, to everyone, right? However, when you're when you're living in it, and you're and in, in you, you have COVID, you have budget crisis, you have uh, payer mix issues, all the all the all the things that the I mean, Health System is working on. Sometimes there's an opportunity to become regrounded and understand where you are today. What what does your leadership team need in order to focus on the future? How do you get them to engage in today, and how do they become accountable to where you where you're going as a as a system? Right, because we all know that that we can we can figure out that James and Mark could have the greatest culture and strategy in in, in ever created, without the ability to to get that down to the to the individual level, the actual person who's caring for the patient, who's transferring the patient, who's admitting the patient until they know what the purpose of of an engagement is what their their role in those engagements are and and what their overall fundamental goal should be in their position it's hard to really get anywhere so we really want to start with a good grounding insight and as we begin to implement and roll out different programs have a have a mind eye end of driving the accountability to how to how to how to be how to be very thorough in 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 our communication how to be deliberate what we what we're communicating we have a we have an opportunity around low performers. We've it, it's something that's been uh, we understand there's been a history of challenge on the on, on, from the from the 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 the, the side of uh, being able to remove some of the low low impo- performers from the system. But we have some we we, we know that there's some opportunities around that. I really put infrastructure not to, to get them out of the system, but more or less trying to implement change into the system to put them to better match where they should be and really train and develop your leaders. When 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 we think about health systems, you know, more often than not we see nurses in the largest position of leadership. And that's because they, they represent the greatest natural resource within a hospital. But because nurses were good t- caregivers at the bedside does not necessarily equate to their ability to naturally step into a management or a leader role to, to to understand what a budget is, how to manage to an FTE, what are the targets are, what's the difference What's the difference within your target? So that those are those are just items that have become very critical in, in how we implement and roll out programs.
7: Thanks, Matthew. Um, so I'm gonna give you a little bit to revenue cycle as one of the early initiatives that we've evaluated, reviewed we the results with Kim and Terry and their team, and we've got the green light to move forward with this initiative. Um, we look at revenue cycle is it's the yield how do we turn our clinical effort and work in the form of charges into patient revenue um you know getting more pennies on the dollar of charges um and the ways we do that um particularly in an environment like we noted earlier in kim's presentation, you Collections are improving. Um, So it's building on that foundation, building on that success and kind of getting to the next level. Still pretty early-ish in the epic, you know, optimization. We're getting it going now, but there's some things we can do. Um, We can streamline some workflows. Revenue cycle has a lot of handoffs between different folks and different steps have to take. We have to manage all those and have visibility to all of those handoffs and make sure everyone knows you know, where the accounts are going from the time an appointment gets scheduled to when it's zero balance. So we, we take a look at all of those things. The, the way we look at it, and I'm going just a little bit because we think there's um, you know, a lot of opportunity here. We um, observe the workflows. We do some interviews with leadership and actually observe work- workflows uh, with the staff that gives us a sense. Sometimes there is a difference between the policy and the practice. We want to make sure that's noted and addressed. We'll benchmark key performance indicators. Um, Once you dig in and looked at transactions, so we looked at live receivable, we looked at some aging receivable, we looked at some accounts that uh, got paid fully, and we looked at some accounts that got written off and try to understand the root cause of potential of why those were written off, why we didn't get paid the full amount. Um, And then we're able to determine based on experience, was that issue something that we could have prevented by streamlining the workflows or optimizing Epic. So we go through all those and um, we take two coordinated but different approaches. We've got the, top-down noted, and that's a qualitative approach. Are we set up like this? Are we using exception-based processing? Are we getting all the accounts timely? Um, and we, we do enough of these type of assessments that we have a, a lot of benchmarks that will indicate how much of a lift we could get if we were able to change some of those things. Using that approach, the um, opportunity, again, to improve the yield, and this is just the HV or the hospital um, billing component also does not include um, behavioral health. So it's the acute care um, hospitals. The benefit range is or 20 to 30 million of uh, net patient revenue. And that represents 4 to 5% of the current net patient revenue. And just to give you a sense of where that falls, the typical client that we assess and then do work with, the, the range is 2 to 6% is what we would find. So kind of right in the middle. And that makes sense when we, you know, look at the collections improving and the work that you know, Kim and the team have been focused on. So it's, you know, and it adds up when you have a business the size of Alameda Health. Um, so 20 to 30 with that approach, the bottom up approach is quantitative. So we know how many accounts and the dollar value of accounts that got written off last year. And we're able to actually, so we call that a pool. That's the number that got written off. How much could we reduce that again by making these improvements? Um, and that came in the kind of the bottom, that um, 19 million. So they're not added together. They're two different looks. When we do the two different approaches and the numbers really triangulate well, that gives us a very high certainty that that opportunity is available um, to us based on experience. Um, so we've shared this with the Terry, the steering committee, and our team's ramping up, and we're we'll be reporting out progress um, to you guys as as needed. But we're excited to dig in there.
5: Question nice on that? Um,
7: I was wondering if you
5: if you if you take a particularly close look on larger accounts, sometimes sometimes you might have a payer, you know, like a Blue Cross uh, or. Uh, United Healthcare slowing down the payment on large accounts, and and it, it, is, is that something that you find useful to take a look at?
7: Yep, certainly the value of the accounts. You know, one of the things we like to see, we'll probably you know want to be putting in is a an algorithmic way to point our billing office resources. So the value of the accounts, the timeliness, is it approaching filing? Um, what does it have a denial on it all of those things will help us prioritize but we certainly want to watch those high high value accounts and um, we one thing you'll see it, we like to have a comprehensive AR strategy so we use a specific strategy for all the segments of the receivable we can't let any part of the receivable be be untended but I think to your point we no necessarily want to use the same strategy on a fifty thousand dollar account as a twenty five hundred dollar account um so the short answer is yes we'll be definitely looking at that
0: so just to make sure that i'm hearing this correctly uh, and what i think trustee fox is also mentioning is that this is about all accounts not just like going after patient accounts this is going after the entire pair mix
7: Yes, for sure. Um, It's maximizing the third party, the government payers. There's a little bit of the patient, and a lot of that is more around, can we find more proactive linkage and other opportunities? Um, And can we be a little bit more proactive in um, letting folks know if they're out of pocket and helping them work through it? That really helps us get through that, and um, people appreciate that. You know, um, We've all had the experience, I think, where you get your bill 90 days after. You don't really even remember what happened, and um, it's just harder to collect those. So getting it more timely will help, but it's for all the payer.
4: Thank you.
8: you had an opportunity to see one end of the spectrum. So what we like to do is really collaboratively bring all aspects of, uh, of operation and OPEX to the attention of the leadership team. So another group of initiatives that has already kicked off are the supply chain initiatives. And really we break those down into purchase services and clinical supplies, working with the physicians and the, 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 the nursing leaders around uh, different uh, preference items for example your joints your implantable devices uh, your your trauma trauma hardware within the, the OR is an example you're in uh, your cat lab and IR so looking at your defibrillators and your pacemakers that you're implanting uh, purchase services is very similar approach looking at the things that you're paying other people to do how well are they doing it for you so we we, we see an opportunity in supply chain between about 2.8 and almost five million dollars. So we continue to, to, as we continue to, as Mike say pull, said, pull back the onion. We will continue to bring more to the team around the, the initiatives that are that are currently ongoing, and then the ones if you could see here that are soon to kick off. So where we stand today from a from an initial schedule is, you saw a supply chain. Uh, we have completed the ART, which was the readiness survey with, for Alameda Health System. Purchase services and revenue cycle have been identified, and they're they're moving forward. They're working through some some of the methodology arrangements around those work. Uh, there's been some clinical pharmacy that uh, that has moved forward today. Uh, we're still working to identify some areas within the medical group around not so much around. Uh, uh, Dollars, for example, but really access and ensuring that the, the, there's the appropriate amount of slotting and, and the physicians are working to where, where where you would like to see them working. And to close out on the week of the fifteenth, around uh, the overall opportunity as it access from labor and workforce and the length of stay component, as Mark Frasky was talking about earlier.
7: That's what we had. Um, any questions? Okay. And thank you for the thank you for the time and opportunity to speak with you guys.
0: Thank you for thank the you. share. Very good to know what these initiatives are, and, and we've been very curious about the best. You might well, with, screen
8: share. As we look forward to continue to providing you updates, and as 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 things materialize further. Uh, We'll we'll rely on James and Mark to to move forward here, but thank you very much for allowing us to to partner with you guys as an institution and and work on some of these initiatives.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, and moving along, assuming that we still have no public comment, we will now Uh, get the final fiscal year 2022 budget from our CFO. All
4: right. Let's see if I can grab this back here. Okay. All right. Everybody see that okay? So this is the approved budget here. It had um, a... Net income loss of 9.1 million. Uh, We you all had set a target of trying to get that to zero. Um, We didn't quite make it. Um, However, we were allowed to make this adjustment and it's a pickup. It's a pickup of $22.8 million, which is recorded in the retirement expense here. Uh, So it's going down from $821 to $798 and it's improving our net income to be a positive 13.6. But because this uh, actuarial report is projecting future cash flows, it doesn't impact our cash flows in the current year. It is an expense that we must recognize on our books, but we will not actually write a check for that funding. So I have um, adjusted EBITDA for it and our EBITDA does not change at all. So the, my expected cash flows do not change at all. So that is what it looks like. And it's, um, um, it, it's nice that we're seeing these um, positive investment returns that are getting amortized out over five years, which are reducing the, the expense that we're reporting on our books. And I'm glad that we held this open because this would be a, the level of a variance that would be coming up every single month Uh, And I, I don't think that it's worth talking about. I think it's worth just holding it open and booking what the real number is gonna be or close to it, it won't be exact, close. Any comments or questions? All right, so this is our FY22 approved budget. And I rather like it because it does have a positive net income.
0: it's pretty amazing to have a positive net income at the end of the fiscal cycle it's a great projection
4: that's uh, no that questions in if, uh, doing uh, keep uh, keep on their positive path i don't know if that's a if that's a uh, if that could actually happen but boy would that be nice <laughs> well we make plans all
0: right now, we are going to move through our agenda to the action items, which are contracts. Um, I think we're going to hear from our interim chief medical officer, Dr. Tornabene, and then our chief information officer, Mark
1: Amy. Hi, good evening, trustees. Um, certainly, I'm here to present uh, this contract, which is a three-year Um, contract with Mint Medical. um, Also supporting me today in case there are any clinical questions, we have Dr. Victorino, who is our chair of surgery, and Dr. Arabi, who is our division chief of vascular surgery. So this uh, contract uh, with Mint, we had last year entered into a one-year contract with them at that time, MINT was expanding from Highland Hospital to cover the vascular ultrasound services to Alameda Hospital and to San Leandro Hospital. Under, uh, over the past year, we've actually seen a significant increase in the volume of patients um, uh, in our vascular lab. I think in the summary, you see a 31% increase uh, across the system. What's interesting about this is if you look individually at San Leandro and Alameda, there's actually significant increases in the volume at those two um, hospitals. And when I was able to speak to uh, Dr. Arabi about this today, um, he was sharing that that, um, a lot of these patients were actually Um, would previously uh, have been seen at Highland, and we're actually moving them across the system um, so that the vascular labs are are busy at all three of the hospitals. And indeed, we have vascular lab availability um, seven days a week at all three of our hospitals. So the um, increases that you see year over year are really uh, most primarily driven by volume. So we anticipate significant increases in volume over the next three years. Some of that um, is driven not um, by a, a vascular screening program that is being rolled out um, so that we're, uh, that we're adding uh, studies to screen for uh, aneurysms, peripheral arterial disease, and carotid artery disease. So um, uh, in increasing this, this program, we're reaching more of our patients' Um, and able to offer that from a population health perspective. So, uh, with that, I'm certainly open to any questions.
0: Everything about this seems great. It adds to preventative care And
5: well, I have a question. It's kind of Will the the budget? Will the b- additional budget costs due to volume increases be offset by additional revenues? Uh.
1: Uh, I, I'd look for help from um, our finance team on that, but I, presumably that um, we would be certainly offset by the facility fees um, that we are realizing with these patients.
9: That is correct. This is Ira Holly. Um, we have not done an analysis to actually indicate what the projected increase in facility fees would be but since this is based on volume and services for which we can bill technical fees there would be an absolute pickup in that capacity.
5: okay and and is the additional volume included or do we know if it's included in the budget for FY 22?
9: To a degree. Um, In the fiscal implications section of the presentation, um, we presented the fact that we were Kind of always lagging a little bit. Um, the increase in volume seemed, despite that we were aware of it, we were having a difficult time gauging it. So in the last two fiscal years, we underestimated the actual size of growth. And as a consequence, if we receive approval to proceed as requested here, if we hit the maximum spend that is potential, we would have an overpayment of about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of variance, I should say. If we actually just hit the run rate that we have historically um, we would have a negative variance of about a 100,000 although that does not factor in for the facility fee increase we will be getting
0: Great questions, Trustee Fox Uh, My question is previously since now we're at seven days a week uh, what were we doing in operations prior to that and before moving folks over to Um, the other facilities what was it like at Highland was it impacted were we losing out on patient care were we you know sending patients elsewhere how did
1: that work sure so we had uh, vascular services available um, at all three facilities Um, in the prior contract um, ended with uh, a different group vascular services group that covered San Leandro Alameda separately and Highland was Mint Medical. And I believe that the Mint Medical relationship that we've had at Highland goes back 19 years. Great. Is there any possibility that we might be
0: able to bring enough providers in house to cover this without needing an outside contract?
1: I think it's something that I would love to engage in as a strategic discussion. Certainly, as we're <laughs> embarking on on that journey, um, this is certainly a service line um, that you know I would be interested in engaging with other leaders uh, with about what that might look like.
5: Is it most common for these kinds of vascular uh, scans to be done by contractors rather than a hospital's you know employed staff?
1: For
10: that, I might turn to Dr. Arabi. Dr. Arabi, are you able to answer that question? Yeah, I can. Can you guys hear me okay? Sorry yeah. for the mask, everybody. <laughs> um, so uh, thanks for letting me talk about the lab. Uh, just to answer one of the questions earlier about the available previous availability, I think uh, one issue was that we've increased vascular surgery providers at Highland, which have historically been been lacking. Um, and so there were a lot of patients who were just, I think, not uh, making their way into the system. So I think uh, that's happened over the last couple of years, and that's driven some of the increase in volume, and then the screening program that, that was mentioned. I think in terms of the, the question I just heard, um, it can go uh, different ways in terms of employing uh, employing the staff, that the technical staff to do these studies. Um, typically, the physicians who uh, read the studies, like, like radiologists, are uh, in-house. The uh, techs who do the studies can either be contracted or be in-house, depending. Uh, for example, Mint me- medical does all of the scanning for the Bay Area Kaiser locations. So that's one of the reasons we um, thought that, that they were um, strong, is because they already had a population health approach with all of the Kaisers locally. So Kaiser contracts with mint for example um, other hospitals will have their own in-house staff so it, it just depends on okay. what the hospital mm-hmm. decides to do
0: are there any further questions from any of the trustees or any of the public huh? listening public all right um thank you just for a point of order should we take both contract votes at the same time or uh is it better if we vote on one at a time
3: uh trusty esteem it's up to you of how you want to um how you want to approach it and um, since you know, you know it sounds like uh, you've heard everything you need to hear about this i you can move ahead and, and get, take a motion now to approve this contract if you'd like. All
0: right, I'll entertain a motion.
3: I'll move approval. Second.
0: Great. Let's have a roll call vote, please. Chesty
5: Blue.
1: Aye. Chesty Estee. Aye. Chesty Fox. Aye. Chesty Friedman. Aye. Chesty Slendorius. The motion passes thank you
0: great mr amy we are ready for you sir in your presentation
11: hi uh thanks uh, trustee esteem i also wanted to make sure i did not screw up the uh, mute button since i was teasing mark fratsky offline about that so uh it uh, looks like I didn't. So um, we're actually uh, here asking for a uh, contract to be approved as well. Uh, I don't have a presentation on it, but we do have um, uh, a uh, contract summary that was included with the uh, board deck. Uh, I also want to recognize uh, Kim Miranda is my partner on uh, this contract. She's actually our executive sponsor for the Kronos uh, effort. Uh, Ann Metzger was not able to join us, but she uh, is one of our VPs that works for Kim and is the operational executive on this. Uh, she actually had to evacuate during the uh, due to the fire. Uh, out so she was unable but uh, sends her regards and then Kevin Shorten's actually on the call and some of you may not have met him yet but Kevin is the uh, vice president over applications for IS is uh, about 18 months into the job for us and uh, has actually handled a lot of the negotiations on the contract so he's here for uh, backup if I, uh, if I uh, misspeak on any of the contract and then we of course have Iron who's been uh, instrumental on this. Uh, in short, I'm, I'm not going to go through all of the details of the Kronos contract. You have that in in your book. Uh, in short, we've been using Kronos for quite a few years on an older version of the Kronos product. Uh, we want to upgrade the product to what's referred to as Kronos Dimensions, which is a new version of the product. It brings a host of new functionality to uh, to our cust- or to our uh, to our employees. Um, one of the things that I think is the neatest that it does is it actually allows for employees to be able to uh, apply for shifts online through uh, you know, through their phone uh, you know, through a handheld device. So it takes us to a very modern uh, place. And uh, your know, trustee, Estee, and I know with your RN background, you know, being able to jump on a overtime shift potentially from your phone is is definitely one of the features that we want to do uh, in that process. There's a, a few that currently we're using uh, the um, Kronos product uh, for time and attendance only. Uh, we actually want to expand it in order to be able to use up for staff scheduling. Obviously that's an important thing. We'll actually sunset some of our other legacy applications in this process so that we're u- doing both time and attendance and staff scheduling in a combined fashion. You know, some of the benefits of this that have been shown, uh, not only from what Kronos advertised, but from my own personal experience because I've uh, implemented Kronos several times in past, uh, in past lives is uh, you get a significant uh, uh, improvement in your staff scheduling and your staff satisfaction with it there's actually some compliance and legal mandates that we need to hit um, i think you're all aware that some of our union contracts are fairly complicated to make sure that we uh stay in line with and so this helps us make sure that we're doing that programmatically so it's uh, certainly important there uh we're, we're anticipating a reduction in overtime by using people more wisely on who's you know, due for overtime versus who has not necessarily triggered overtime yet uh, we're hoping to see over time a reduction in our use of travelers as we make better use of our own nursing staff with the ability to bid on shifts from the staff uh, perspective. Um, and then you know, our current system is uh, running towards end of life and we uh, so we obviously want to get off the current system in a proactive manner. Kim, I don't know if I uh, missed anything um, from your perspective as far as benefits uh, to why we're going with the product. Uh.
4: I think you did a great job there, Mark. And I think it, it, we really need to um, upgrade Kronos in order to achieve some of the performance improvement initiatives that we have for reduced overtime and for um, ensuring that, you know, we're, we've, we're appropriately staffing to volumes. So without, uh, without doing this, I think it would be, we would be hard pressed to, um, to uh, establish our, our uh, appropriate labor standards and adhere to them you know,
11: in the future. One thing I may, I forgot to mention, uh, by the way, which is actually important is we'll be doing um, patient acuity in uh, Epic, uh, which we're currently doing portions of that and then feeding that into Kronos to help make sure that we're doing appropriate nurse staffing uh, and other clinical staffing from the uh, patient acuity component. And obviously that's an important part of uh, what we're gonna be implementing here. So I'm gonna pause, is there questions on the
2: product, what we're hoping to accomplish with it?
10: I
0: see that
2: Trustee Spondoyo has his hand up. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for recognizing me, Mark. Um, does th- this Cronus uh, system integrate with the payroll system, other accounting functions? Does it integrate with, um, I mean, does it integrate with, um, I mean, I, I know Epic is sort of like a time and billing system. Does it need to integrate? I'm just what else? what else do we get with it that we didn't have before? Yeah.
11: No. Great. Great, great question. question. <laughs> and the answer, is, the answer is an emphatic yes. So um, we'll be pulling um, patient acuity over from Epic into Kronos, and that's a uh, well-tested and you know well well-paved uh, interface for us. We'll also be taking out of the Kronos. So the Kronos system will be doing time and attendance and scheduling. And then that will actually be feeding into our payroll system. And currently that system is Lawson. Uh, It it would be preliminary for me to discuss with you uh, at this point. But I know you've seen some of our strategic path and, uh, you know, a year or so from now, I know Kim and I will be back talking with you about some upgrades and development in the ERP space in specific around Lawson, what we're doing on finance, HR and materials. But, uh, yeah, the short answer is Kronos integrates with our current system. It also integrates with some of the systems uh, we might look at in the future, uh, you know, if we decided at any point to move away from Lawson. So there, there's well-tested interfaces in there, and that's, frankly, crucial for the Kronos system to function correctly.
2: So I, I guess my I guess the real question is, so we're paying for that ability today with the idea that we can be able to use it in the future, or so, at least most things now, but some in the future? Correct correct right thanks
4: yes. i'm going to add to that because I, that was just I, that was the perfect question because you know, we've had a lot of discussions internally as well. So so to to do this, we need to really get everybody on there. So we need registry, we need any staff that is um that is currently filling in for a regular employee that's in our position control, which then ties to HR, which then allows you to do things like security and it allows you to do access by you know based on titles and you know, all of that is all great stuff, but you know, this is like the first step on a journey that will really improve the way that AHS operates, The the how we get information. It will um, simplify a lot of the administration, but it is all in the setup. So, you know, that was a very astute <laughs> question and, and something uh, very near and dear to my heart as the team works through how we do this and how we time it and how we phase it.
2: Well, let me hear it. Thank you very much, Kim. So let me step in it and really look and make, make myself embarrassed. So how about, um, I mean, obviously this is for folks or employees that are on site. Do we have employees that would be, would be use a current system that can and are and are authorized to work remotely? Yeah, so that's actually another
11: reason we want to implement the system is that you're aware that we're working uh, actively on a remote work policy, and one of the pieces of that is actually many of those people will be salaried employees, but we'll certainly have some hourly uh, employees as well. So the current, you know, when you think about Kronos today, if you use the system, you oftentimes will think of those uh, time clocks that are on every nursing floor, and you know, nurses and other clinicians that are punching in and out of those. The um, new system will actually allow us to do that. Do basically virtual time clocks uh, where people will be able to register the time in in and out uh, on their phones, uh, for example. And obviously, we'll have to have guardrails around that, and I won't bore you with all of the details around that, but uh, the intent would absolutely be able to uh, uh, support a remote workforce. Great, thanks.
0: Christy Blue has her hand
4: up. Yeah, this may not be the appropriate place to ask. But you mentioned that you're moving the current patient assessment tool over. Is there any um, discussions happening within the nursing staff to change the assessment tool or upgrade it? Because from my experience working with hospitals, that is something they do not upgrade enough.
11: So another good. It's like you're reading our questions here, Trustee Blue. So yes, we're working very closely. Um, so uh, Teresa Cooper um, is. Uh, we're 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 tightly partnered with her, and uh, actually our other nursing leadership on uh, that particular piece of it. We're actually just in anticipation of the Kronos project. We're uh, kicking off the validation components. Around the um, acuity um, components for patients, and as I, and I know with your background, you're aware of this, but you know it all comes down really to the documentation in the system, triggers a lot of that acuity. And so there's going to be a combination, I think, of Kevin and his team doing some work around you know, enhancements to the system. And then you know, frankly, a lot of it's going to be in training with our nurses on making sure that we we have good documentation in the system, which will actually have a twofold uh, outcome. One of them is, is it'll drive the acuity component, which is important for us for staffing, but it'll also actually help drive um, accurate reimbursement for us. And so if we're inadvertently leaving money on the table because we're not documenting where we should be, this will help uh, catch some of that. So there's really- really you know a double benefit for us on it thank you one thing I do want to mention just in the interest of full transparency um, and it was really triggered off uh, a trustee Splendora your uh, uh, question on this we have this as a fully integrated solution with what you're looking at here with one exception we're still working through the uh, kinks uh, and uh Kim and I and our physician leadership are actively engaged on this, but we're still working through the uh, details around physician scheduling in the system and how that would work. So the dollar figure that you see here does not include that. We would obviously, if we we're, we're finalizing negotiations on this contract, we're actually hoping to drive the contract down just a tiny bit, um, but I don't wanna promise anything right now on that. Um, if we can get that piece in, we will, otherwise we'll be coming back obviously to add that particular piece in because we do see this as a unified solution uh, for every uh, for all pieces on this and the one piece that is not in there today which is not currently in our chrono system either is the uh, physician scheduling but I know both Kim and I as, as well as frankly the rest of our leadership team feel strongly in trying to have centralized uh, uh, sources of truth with uh, pardon me, with what we're doing on that area um, Go
5: ahead, Trustee Fox um, Just a, a question, Mark When, if this is approved when would you expect that we would be ready to go up on this new system. And would we go up hospital by hospital or everybody go up at the
11: same time? Kevin, I know you and Ann have been working on the timeline on this and we're, we're still finalizing a little bit of it, but you wanna kind of respond on what we're looking at on the broad timeline there?
10: Sure, great, uh, thanks, Mark. Yeah, so um, if, if everything goes according to plan, we would be looking to launch uh, the project uh, around this November, early December this year. And then we're projecting a kind of ten to twelve month timeline, so uh, we'd be looking at fall of next year. Uh, but we we'll discover a lot as we get into the detailed planning and then scoping out um, as it relates to your question regarding how we roll out um, the the new platform. You know, will it be enterprise wide or or will we take uh, hospital by hospital? Okay, thank you. You're
11: and Trustee Fox, I, I will tell you, I'm predisposed to doing it similar to what we did with Epic, which was a big bang approach. But we haven't finalized that, so again, I don't want to make any uh, false uh, commitments until we have, uh, you know, we, until we have our entire team uh, do that. The biggest thing we're also doing right now with some of our pre-planning around things like doing the um, uh, doing the um, uh, the, um, uh, the patient acuity and other things like that is we're trying to look at if there's places we could fast track this project, because we do know that the sooner we get this project in place, the sooner we start seeing, you know, some of the benefits from, uh, from the project. So we're actively looking to see if we can shorten those timelines at all, but those are what we're looking at right now in the project. I'm
0: curious, Mark, since you mentioned that docs aren't on this, is this the the way, like this new integration with Kronos and people being able to pick up extra shifts, how does that relate to using staffing agencies and per diem nurses? Um, Because, you know, sometimes that's a thing. There used to be a nursing office with one person on the phone calling nurses in around the clock. So how does that work?
11: Yeah, so... You know, it's actually pretty neat, because I I saw a demo of it, um, uh, because I I was thinking exactly the same thing from a number of years ago, but uh, the last couple of implementations, you can actually set the system up, uh, uh, Trustee Esteen, so that it actually will trigger out automatic notifications, and so, um, and again, a lot of this depends on how we decide to customize the system or configure the system for ourselves, Usually you start with some fairly basic functionality, but the advanced functionality actually allows a a nurse manager that needs to call in additional nurses based on acuity to actually send out triggers and um, nurses that might have registered that they're interested in over time would get those notifications that uh, would actually proactively pop up. So you start to do a lot of that component of it. Other things that are kind of neat in the system, again, with your RN degree, um, uh, your background there is you can actually see who else potentially is taking a shift if, you, if there are certain people you like working with. And, you know, we're all that way. We like to work with certain people that we know and so on like that. So you can actually see who else is taking certain shifts in the system. So it starts to drive some of those community things. So we won't go live with those day one, obviously, but those are the things that we'll be bringing into, this, into the process as we uh, enhance the system.
0: Very interesting improvements. I mean, I, I often think about uh, the future of work, and I, I worry a lot about gig and the uberization of our workforce. And uh, yeah, I, I also love technology and recognize its benefits, uh, but it can be a slippery slope. Just going to say that now. I see Dr. Bouquet has turned on his screen. I didn't want to see how him.
6: tired I was uh uh trustee as a clarification actually some of the doctors are using chronos i know that because every two weeks on sunday this is what i do for my entire division so uh i don't i can't i don't have the clarification about which doctors it's my belief that the east bay medical group doctors use this but i i can't clarify otherwise i know it's it's something that i have to do and i think my my colleagues have to do uh, mr amy can you comment on that you
11: uh uh, you may be right on that i'm okay i'm gonna punt to kevin because i'm not sure i know that (laughs) our administrative physicians um use it so when we when you're doing administrative work i know you're doing that out of chronos i'm not sure about actually
6: i think this is how this is how uh, east bay medical groups payroll is is determined because because i'm actually
11: not doing it for myself i'm doing it for all the docs who work under me gotcha okay um that, that's a good clarification the the part part that we don't have in scope right now is actually the physician scheduling piece on uh, the system and i know right. that's not happening in cronus because we're not doing any scheduling uh in cronus today uh, yeah with- and and uh, my my
6: humble request is you uh communicate with dr Achilles warren who you you sit on the best committee with because they've engaged a scheduling system uh through east bay medical group called QGenda. and 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 uh, which it's my understanding does not interface with Kronos, which, isn't, which is perhaps an issue because it would be nice if it was
11: one-stop shopping, wouldn't it? We have a meeting next week on it. Uh, so yeah, you read my mind and now I'll, now I'll shut up. Thank you, Madam Chair, for giving me space.
0: Always. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, if we don't have any questions, oh, I see Trustee Friedman. Yeah, I move approval. There we are. Thank you. Do we
7: have
0: a second? Second. All right, let's get our roll call vote. Chesty Blue. Aye. Chesty Esteem. Aye. Chesty Fox. Aye. Chesty Friedman. Aye. Chesty Splendoria. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you.
11: Thank you all. Appreciate
0: it. You're welcome. Thank you. And that brings us to the final portion of our agenda tonight, which is the portion for. discussion committee planning and any issues um during the next few months it will be important for us to continue to project outward as we think about our um retreat which is at the end of this month strategic planning the permanency of our staffing and the executive level and uh, changes that are to come, such as Aim. If there's any educational needs that any of the trustees would like to request, if there's any curiosities you have about the system, um, tonight we heard about some real improvements that are to come. I'm very curious about the partnership with John Muir and what that might look like. I don't know if this is the appropriate venue for that, um, but you know, as we talk about expansion of services and partnerships, uh, Things that make our care better and efficient, more efficient, definitely float my boat. So, are there any things that are percolating in the minds of our trustees? Trustee uh, Estine,
6: I always love the, the opportunity for a pit stop for education on anything. You know, you know, reading income statements, balance sheets, summaries of cash flows are not easy things uh, for everyone below Kim Miranda. <laughs> you know, so, and Trustee Fox. Yeah, and sorry, sorry, apologies and trustee Fox, of course. Um, so, you know, finding our way to, you know, just little tidbits of education on, you know, what what, what are the pertinent ratios, whatever. I, I, I would I would love that opportunity as perhaps a little bit of a learning at the top of every meeting uh, to, to educate ourselves.
0: At the top of every meeting. I like your style, Trustee Bouquet. All right, did you get that for us, Rana? I did thank you so much and on that note we will adjourn this meeting unless you guys want to hang out we can turn on some music we can like start dancing but if you prefer to get to dinner and to your family then we can adjourn I see hands waving good night all